0: Hey everyone, welcome to An Event for Life with Brad Cox and Shane Buzzer. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. An Event for Life is the podcast where we take you on a journey through eventful lives of inspirational event industry leaders from
1: around the world. That's right. We'll be sharing their stories, impact and insight into the complex world of events. So if you like these stories, don't forget to like, subscribe and share with your mates. This is An Event for Life. Good afternoon, Buzz. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you doing, Brad?
0: Yeah, very, very well.
1: That's the way.
0: What's happening this morning? we're back in the in the studio, but I I ran in through the door and you were head down talking away on your on your laptop there, you busy in meetings.
1: Yeah, there was. <laughs> there's lots happening. I mean, there's always seems to be lots happening. I was out at RSPCA this morning. Oh, nice. Yeah, we're doing a bit of work with them. They're fantastic and. Pretty sure I'll end up with a dog at some point. Uh, ah, yeah. look, see, you're growing up <laughs> finally. So, oh, I wouldn't go that far. A family man. Yeah, so, bit, what about yourself? What's happening? Ah, uh, Friday
0: today when we're recording this. I know we don't give away the days very often, but you know we're it's the end of the week. It's been a big one. It's again. Friday afternoon. Why? Why don't we have beers? I don't know. In soda water and a mineral water, and oh, we're trying to be sensible for once in our life. Yeah, okay. We'll yeah. See how
1: long that lasts. We we'll might have to have a break.
0: Ah, uh, that's all right. No worries. Hey, um, today we're uh, we're finally announcing we've got an international guest uh we've been you know tempting the listeners for a few weeks now at, uh, that that is coming and coming and geez we've gone straight into the deep end
1: it's a milestone isn't it uh first international uh guest so um he's waiting for us to bring him in he's smiling he's laughing and uh you know what, you better be on your game, okay, and speak clearly, because you've got an Australian audience, or well, mostly, so.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're going to grow this American audience, and uh, and he's on, and I've just given away where he's from, but that's okay. Um, we've spoken a bit about uh, theatre and, and events in general, but, you know, that theatre aspect uh, and how that impacts events, and, and the fact that the industry is so diverse, that theatre is effectively an event in the way it sort of happens. And you know, that's sort of where we're going from the experience, um, the inspiration and the skills that we learn out of the theatre genre uh, to apply to events and vice versa as well and having such a diverse portfolio of, uh, of skill sets within our industry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I saw a show last night, actually, uh, a musical. Oh, well, what so did you see? I can't pronounce it, but I'll, go on, have, I'll a go. have a crack. La, 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 la Cage or Foyer? Oh, French is not your strongest point. <laughs> well, no, it's not. But it was—it's based on uh, the Robin Williams film, *The Birdcage*, from the nineties. Uh, Fantastic. And it, and it was brilliant. It was at the Arts Centre, and uh, I went with Mum. So oh, nice. Mum was my hot date, and uh, we had a great time. She enjoyed it as well. She loved it. Yeah. All it right.
0: Nice. Well, look, we want to talk a bit more about theatre, and uh, which leads us into today's guest, who has an established and diverse portfolio, both on stage and off. His stunning voice has led him to star on Broadway in leading roles in shows such as Guys and Dolls and Jersey Boys, which he later took to the big screen playing Nick Massey in the feature film. He's produced numerous films such as uh, Kill Cat Oakland, which has received a nomination for Best Short Film, and he now operates his LA-based film production and graphic design house, Little Bull Productions. Would you please welcome, all the way from LA, the uber-talented Michael Lameda. How are you, mate? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> now, I probably didn't pronounce your last name right, did I? Laminda?
2: LaMenda, that's LaMenda. it. You got LaMenda. it.
0: LaMenda, there you go. My apologies. I've done that twice lately, so uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not so good on the surnames, but uh, no you're yeah, here in prison. That's the main thing.
2: <laughs> well, it's good to be here, you guys. It's great to chat with you today.
1: Excellent. Well, I mean, yes, you're in L.A. right now. Um, and I guess a little prelude. Mike and I go back a, a little way. So, uh, you know, it's it's good. It's great to see you by Firstly, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing even more about you that I'd probably – didn't know from the last fifteen years, but uh, you're in LA. However, you're a Canadian boy, so you're the son of a Canadian ice hockey legend, Mark Lemenda. um Tell us a bit about where did you grow up and who were some of your heroes and inspirations as a young guy?
2: Yeah, um, I you know I grew up in a really small town in in Canada called Stettler, Alberta, population five thousand, and uh, it was really kind of in the middle of nowhere, uh, just sort of cows and prairies and hockey and uh not a lot uh around um i think the closest city was about you know an hour away so weirdly um it had this art scene that was kind of pretty vibrant so in spite of being sort of like a hub for you know kind of like blue collar folks um there's this great performing arts center um there's a great sort of community there of people who love the arts And uh, so I got this really great kind of like early education in the arts just by being in this random small town um, in the middle of nowhere that just loved arts. And so um, some of the early folks that I kind of looked towards were, um, you know, I had this great uh, drama teacher, New, new teacher comes to a small town to sort of like start out And he really took me under his wing and and, uh, gave me a lot of really great opportunities in theater and uh, had a great art teacher, uh, Rose Pearson. Um, uh, My drama teacher was uh, Daryl Dobson, and uh, the two of them ended up getting married. And so they were like this awesome arts power couple that became really sort of influential in my upbringing all through high school and, and, and that kind of stuff. And and just really gave me kind of carte blanche to do whatever I wanted and to discover sort of early on what I wanted to be as an artist and sort of, you know, whether it be visual arts or at one, you know, one time I wanted to be an architect. Um, and, uh, you know, they really sort of like helped me kind of develop that early on and, and really pushed me to kind of explore where I wanted to go with that and gave me tons of opportunities. So, um, so that's sort of like having them there to sort of like give me that boost early on really, really kind of launched things. And, uh, and, you know, like it's a small community. So it, I, I think in these tiny communities, everybody kind of knows everybody. And so, you know, beyond them, even like my physics teacher really kind of like was super supportive. And and because everybody knows, you know, Lomendas and lamendas know everybody else, they just kind of take the kids under their wings and, and you're kind of raised by a community. So super grateful to be, you know, have grown up in, in a small town um, just because the support was there, you know.
0: Buzz mentioned earlier about your dad, and I just want to touch on that. In terms of the hockey side of things, were you drawn to hockey at all, or was the arts always your passion?
2: Yeah, weirdly, um, you know, I think maybe some dads might be like, oh, my kid's got to play hockey. You know, I played hockey. My dad... Uh, was really cool in the sense that he you know gave me an opportunity i didn 't really take to it right away uh but he didn't really force it on me you know my younger brother ended up taking uh hockey up and became a really great hockey player and and uh but yeah dad never never really forced it that's not to say that i didn 't play other sports and whatnot and he coached baseball and that kind of stuff and I played ball and and uh played basketball and volleyball and all that kind of stuff but yeah, he never forced it on me, which was super cool um but yeah, he was. Uh, you know, it's sort of my mom was just in town visiting and she finally gave me like the how it all happened with my dad being drafted into the NHL and stuff like that. And and uh yeah, he played in the NHL and, and the WHA, which was the rival NHL league in the in the seventies. And they toured That's when incredible. they were like yeah, like eighteen and nineteen all through the States, um, just young, kinda like in the seventies, playing hockey and having a blast. So it's pretty wild.
1: Fantastic. And you talked about your teachers, Mike. Was this? Are we talking eight-year-old Mike, or are we a teenage years? You know, at at what stage was it when you know that these these teachers came in and really inspired you to to you know jump into this field?
2: Yeah, I mean, I kind of came about every like certainly theater in a very kind of like roundabout way. I started in music. Um, I had a, a great a music teacher in school who recognized that I was musically adept in some way and so she put me in like the bell choir and then she put me in singing and then she you know taught me piano lessons and what really kind of stuck was classical piano so I started at a very young age classical piano um, performing Um, I did sing early on but I was so terrified to sing that um, i think they just kind of pulled me out cuz i was too nervous but something about hiding behind a big grand piano on stage and it's just you and the piano felt right to me so i really kind of poured myself into that process and and you know that musicality kind of just naturally steered me towards the arts in in some capacity and and i think i probably had a, had a little bit more kind of focus in sports maybe gone that direction but like i said having that early piano kind of in my in my veins really Really steered me towards the arts, and really kind of showed me how um, how much they can kind of really change your life and and have an impact on people. And and yeah, I just discovered a real strong passion for it then. So,
0: did it come naturally to you that performing, be it the piano or the singing side of things? I mean, you said you were nervous, but did you find it a natural progression for yourself, and uh, would you have to sort of bunker down and
2: work really hard? I think you know the more and more you know because you. Later on in my life, I became an actor, which is very much sort of like uh, uh, an outward performance. Classical piano can in a lot of ways be a very sort of inward performing sort of thing. You're kind of like working on your instrument and then that goes out into the audience. And so in a lot of ways, that was my, uh, that was a uh, kind of a hiding place for me, I would say. Like I was a pretty shy kid. I was really kind of nervous um, to perform and to get up in front of people. But like I said, something about hiding behind a a grand piano uh, as a performance, sort of like crutch, we'll say, um, was really uh, a great sort of safety for me in a lot of ways. And so when I became an actor and kind of fell into acting, I had to really reconcile with that. I had to reconcile with like, oh, I got to like, I got to (laughs) like turn it outward. And that was scary. And, 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 you know, it's still scary. But then you kind of become addicted to that scariness and that that vulnerability that it requires, and and the rest is history. So,
1: you know. Yeah, I know you don't have a piano at home, but um, if there was one in front of you or you know one at a venue that you're at, are you still you, have you still got it? Could you sit down and <laughs> pump out a few tunes?
2: Yeah, there's there's two go-to tunes uh, that I would probably bang <laughs> out. Um, you know, like the kind that like you see a, a piano that you're like, oh, that looks like a piano waiting to be played. I would. Uh, Play the uh, Olympics tune for the Calgary Olympics, which is the theme song written um, by, I think, Dave Foster or someone. And then I would probably play some ragtime tune. Um, But yeah, anyway, uh, those are the two tunes that I like in there for the rest of my life. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I've got the I've got the opposite, mate. I've got a, uh, a a piano sitting in my lounge room at home, and none of us know how to play it. So, oh, yeah. uh, welcome any time to come and show <laughs> us those two tunes. So, uh, I'd hate to touch it, but I've got two young kids. You never know what might happen. One in particular. But uh, uh, what are some of your early sort of memories from performing in the theatre space? You know, big and small. Um, you obviously go through that transition and and process as a as a teenager, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you fall in love with it and you go, oh, this is oh, this is what I want to do and um, what can you remember from those days of sort of going, okay, I want to turn this into maybe a little bit more than a hobby or at least a very serious hobby?
2: Yeah, I mean, early on, I I, uh, I was always kind of practical in my approach to things. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be an architect because architects make good money. And uh, and then I'll be a theater person on the side. Like, what does that even mean, right? But. But uh, I, I, that was just my way of sort of reconciling always having the arts there. And then a friend of mine, Kristen, came home from college in a nearby town, Red Deer College, and she said, you know, I really think you would like this program. And there was something that just in the way that she talked about it just really clicked for me. And it was a straight acting program. It wasn't a musical theater program. Um, but there was just something about that that just really sort of was like, yeah, this is not something that I want to be on the back burner. I, it needs to be the focus for me. Um, And uh, and so I really I had to hustle in high school for the last year to really get my credits and get into that college. And I ended up doing that. And then halfway through that first year, um, my the folks in the second year ended up auditioning for Sheridan College, which is a musical theater college in Toronto and kind of like the big musical theater college in Canada. And, you know, they hopped a flight to Toronto, and we all, you know, went and saw Rent in Toronto, and it was like this great experience. And I was there to audition for this musical theatre program that I was positive I wouldn't get into. I couldn't sing above a middle C. I had a really low voice, and I, you know, I was musical, and and I, uh, I knew musical theatre, but I wasn't, like, in love with it. I didn't eat, leave, uh, live, and breathe it or anything. And... And I actually got directly directly accepted into the program, and they they were like, "Welcome to Canada," um, in the program, <laughs> and uh, which was wild because I just was like, "Oh sh- shit!" Like, "Oh, sorry." Um, uh, you, can can't swear. Swear. you can swear. Okay, I it. okay. keep... all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just like, I guess I guess I kind of have to go now, you know. Like, and it was a four and a half hour flight from my hometown, and I was at the time I was nineteen, and you know, I. I Jumped on a payphone because that's what we used at that time, um, dating myself a little bit, and said to my folks, "I was like, I just got directly accepted. I, I, I guess I have to go. Like, this is a big deal." And and they said, "Okay, you know, like, I guess we'll make it work." And so uh, I kind of I jumped on a bus and I traveled fifty eight hours on a bus with my buddy um, wow. Paula. If, I mean, in truth, let me be honest with you. you, we we did get on the bus and we did travel for a while, and then we stopped in Winnipeg and got. A little bit tanked for a couple of days and missed the bus <laughs> and then got back on. Um, okay. we made it to Toronto this this
1: is, this is fifty eight hours with no um, you know social media or dating
2: apps to swap through or anything like oh, that. No. you just no. have
1: to amuse yourself and drink, apparently
2: yeah, yeah, so we we had to break it up somehow, and that's how we did it so but yeah, so we we jumped on the bus, my family, who are troopers who've always been troopers, they all piled into the like the uh the trailer and pulled all my stuff behind us on the bus. Like, and met us in, in medicine, Toronto and moved me out to Toronto, which was wild. So, um, so that's when I started to sort of really kind of, like, dial into it and realize that if I was going to make that commitment and force my parents to make that commitment with me, um, that I'd have to really take it seriously. And, um, and I did. And it was a struggle. Like, I was behind the eight ball in a musical theater school. Didn't really have a lot of uh, singing or dancing experience, was musical, um, but a, kind of a musical actor. And so um, kind of had to carve out my own experience in that school, but they were supportive and, and gave me lots of opportunities. And I graduated um, feeling like I was, you know, going to be OK. You know, um, it's it's one of those things where I, I've always felt a little bit like a, is it wolf in a sheep's clothing or maybe sheep in a wolf's clothing as a musical theater performer. Cause I came at a, such a weird angle. Um, and, and I went to school with a lot of people who really like breathed musical theater and I was never that guy. And so I always felt a little, had that imposter syndrome a little bit. So, um, but graduating Sheridan really helped me sort of gain a little bit of confidence and launch into the sort of regional world of, of theater which is where I kind of got my, got my start um, and uh, worked at a lot of regional theaters across Canada. Um, which was great because um, I started working for a company called Stage West and they employed uh, one of the biggest employers of actors in Canada. And I got to balance between Calgary and Toronto and do the same show. So for three and a half months, I would do a show here and then they would program it into a season out in Mississauga or Toronto and vice versa. And so, you know, I would get seven months of work out of the year working on Grease or Footloose or Chorus Line or some review show or something like that um which was huge because I was all of a sudden a working actor um and I think my parents started to see that oh this is something that you can actually make money at so
0: that's huge stability in that industry too to be able to you know seven months worth of consistent work is uh you'd sign up for that for any day
2: yeah for sure and you know like we do I do multiple shows a year and you know there were some years where I was working double shows at the same time lucky to be employed and and making a decent wage, I think Canada is really great. I don't know what it's like in Australia. I've heard great things about your theatre sort of scene there in, in Australia and had a buddy that I worked with actually who came through the Australian theatre scene and had awesome things to say about it. But I think similarly, you can make a living wage in Australia. You can make a living wage in Canada as a theatre artist, regionally speaking, and, and not be like struggling, you know, paycheck to paycheck, which is huge especially as an it's, up-and-coming it's, actor with uh student loans.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say it's interesting you say that because one of the things I was going to ask you is this I guess perception that we can have around uh you know younger actors or or people in the in the arts let's say who are working hospitality jobs or things like that just to you know make sure that they can survive and and still pursue this career path but it sounds like you didn't have to do that. Is that right?
2: I did. You know, I still am like I I catered in my off months, you know, like I, I'm a bit of a, like, I like to always be working. So I remember one year I worked for 10 months, which I was grateful for. And then in the two months I had off, I just, I got a gig as a caterer and, and I like to, I just like to be busy. Um, But yeah, I, I lucked into a lot of, I, I met a lot of really wonderful people who championed me early on in my career, very early. Um, I met a director named Tim French, who kind of just cast me in shows right from the get-go. That, so in a lot of ways, I didn't have to audition anytime Tim had a show. He would throw me in it in some capacity, um, sometimes playing leads, sometimes playing ensemble, but just always gave me that opportunity. And that company, Stage West, uh, Kira Campbell was the technical director there and you know became a really good friend early on and just always gave me opportunities and took me under her wing and and without them, I wouldn't have done the things like Jersey boys later on in my life because I just wouldn't have had that opportunity to cut my teeth early on in these regional theaters. Um, Alex Moustakis at, at Drayton, like all these people gave me these great opportunities. And, and because of that, I had these, uh, I gained confidence and, and developed my skills. And when opportunities presented themselves later on, I, I felt like I was prepared, you know, um, because of those folks who gave me those opportunities. So,
0: you mentioned just a minute ago, Jersey Boys in particular, and I think you know it would be pertinent of us to to mention that and and such a lead role. What was that process like to land that role for you, uh, both on on stage first and then into the film adaptation? But uh, yeah, in terms of going about it from I guess regional to city performer to then finally getting you know a big break and yet a couple in that sort of process. But uh, what's that for our listeners? What's that process like, and what's that feeling like?
2: Uh, it was wild. I'll just tell you flat out a wild ride. Um, for me, I had been working kind of regionally, like I said, for, for a few years and, uh, I was about 28 years old and you know, I graduated when I was 21. So about seven years into my career working regionally and, and, uh, And this was a big show, like it was a big downtown show. And at the time it was kind of like a new Broadway show that was having a a Canadian company up in Toronto, which was big, you know, anytime you get a downtown Toronto show in Canada, it's a big deal. Cause you know, it's not like Broadway up there. Broadway has a myriad of different shows that you can be auditioning for and, and stuff like that. And really in Toronto, there's at any one time, there's maybe two to three kind of Broadway style shows in downtown Toronto happening. So um, everybody really tries to go for it. So everybody and their dog came out to audition for it. And and you know, again, I'm I'm young and, and I'm and I'm not entirely sure that I'm, you know, up for it. But when you know, you reach a certain point in your career where you've been working enough and you feel like, okay, I feel like I have the skills. I just need to be ready for when those opportunities present themselves. That was that was sort of, I guess, my moment there was I just felt like, yeah, I feel like I'm ready to sort of really try and hit this one out of the park. Um, for the first time in my career. And, I, you know, I get the call, um, I go in and I make it to a certain point and And uh, initially, they called me for replacements in New York. Um, actually, I'm going to step back. The first time I did it, it was the worst audition I'd done in like a year. And I was wow. like, wow, I'm never, ever going to get that gig again, right? Um, and never going to get why, called can again. Can I just
0: interrupt you there? What, why, oh. why was it your worst?
2: Listen, when you audition for a living, it's like it can go so well or it can go so <laughs> badly. Yeah, but you what, know, do, like... what
1: does that mean? And even I'm curious to know. Okay, so so when oh, you say you go can, in,
2: you sing oh, that up. one right well, out. Well, no, I'd smash that one. Like, what, what does that mean to you? Well, and just also to add to that, you kind of walk out of there, and sometimes you can actually have no perspective of whether or not it went good or bad. So add that to the mix. But in this particular instance, my folks were in town, which is a little bit stressful. You know, you're like they're really easygoing, but just having guests in town. And they know that you're auditioning for Jersey Boys and they've heard about it. And so you're like, I put on my, you know, suit. I walk up to the theater because it's close by. It's in the middle of summer. I feel like great, but I'm like sweating. By the time I get there, I'm just soaked. <laughs> I walk in and it's like, a, you know, it's people coming up from New York to audition in Toronto. It's a big deal. And I walk into the room and, and you know, I'd prepared this song and I worked on it with my audition coach and, and and my accompanist. And I get it in there, and it literally sounds like it's in Latin. And I'm just singing in the wrong key. I sound like a cat screaming. And it was just one of those moments where you you, you make it through the song. And I don't think they let me do the, uh, the, audition, the rest of the audition material, the sides or anything. They were like, great, thank you very much. And you just know... <laughs> You just know, right? Because you were sent audition sides, you were sent this material, and you didn't even make it to that bit. And so, um, yeah, it was bad. But fast forward a year, and they're like, my agent calls me up and she says, hey, you know, Jersey Boys is auditioning. I literally said to her at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, no, they're not interested in me. Trust me. I blew that one so bad last time. And they said, actually, you were on a short list. Um, So you're like, what? (laughs) <laughs> I was on See, a short even list.
0: the ones you think are going to go bad, never know when yeah. they're going to come back.
1: You know something I've never asked you, Mike? Was it Nick Massey that you auditioned for? Like, was that the, the, the no. role that you knew was yours? Or No, how, no. What was that process like?
2: That was, um, that was another kind of weird thing too. Um, I was initially going in, I think, because of my classical piano background, there's a character who plays piano. So I went in for this character named Bob Gaudio, who was younger, who was like fr- kind of fresh-faced, and I just remember looking at it going, I'm just not, I'm like, I'm not clean shaven. I'm scruffy. I have a bass voice. Like, I, that's just not me. And, and it was like, so I went and did a bit of research and I looked at pictures of other people who played the role online. I was like, that looks like me. I'm going to learn the material. I got my agent to send me the Nick Massey material. I was like, I just want to put this in the back of my pocket on the off chance that they asked me for it. And I went in and I auditioned and sure enough, um, the casting director kind of got up at, behind the table and said, she just stood there and looked at me um, and she said, ah, just looking at you. And I was like, that's cool. It's, you know, like whatever you need. And she said, I think we want you to read for somebody else. And I said, Cool. And in my head, I'm going, please say Nick Massey. (laughs) And (laughs) and they said, Nick Massey. And I said, I actually have the sides here, you know, and like I I didn't do it in a shitty way, but I just like went over to my book and I was like, okay, weirdly, I feel like this is maybe meant to be because I I foresaw this. That's a little hooky booky, but I I feel like this is kind of meant to be in that sense. And I did the audition and they wanted to call me back and um, I couldn't make it for the callback. And so... Um, it just wasn't meant for meant to be at that point. Um, and then they auditioned later on for the Toronto Company and, and I think that was when I was officially kind of in the mix for things. So um I was doing a show, uh it was called Forever Plaid, and um I remember, you know, I had done the audition and we hadn't heard for a really long time and, and uh I was walking home uh late one night after a show. And I had got some groceries or something, and I kind of stopped. I dropped my groceries on the floor, on the, on the street, and I just looked up to the sky, and I, I I literally said something along the lines of, like, just send me a sign, like, actually out loud, like a lunatic. And uh, the next day, my agent called on a Saturday. Agents don't generally work on the weekend. Called me on a Saturday before the matinee and said, listen, if you... If there's a Canadian company of Jersey boys, you will be Nick Massey. And I just, you know, blew my top. It was such a huge deal. And for me, it was a huge break, you know, like, um, I hadn't, I hadn't done a downtown show and, and Mama Mia was playing in Toronto at the time. And a lot of kids went right out of school into Mama Mia. And so I had this experience early on and, and, uh, yeah, so it was huge for me. It was really huge. Um, yeah. And then we did the show for two years in Toronto and that's when Mm -hmm. I met Buzz. You did. And, yeah. uh, so what? what's the lifestyle
1: like then? You know, in the world of, of theatre, major show downtown, you're performing six, seven times a week, mostly evenings. What's What's that lifestyle like and how do you main, maintain any form of routine or consistency or balance? How does that work?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's different for everybody. You know, um, certainly like our Frankie uh, Valley, who, you know, in Jersey Boys had a very different kind of like – process. He had to, you know, sleep a certain way, had to, you know, use different kind of like techniques to really warm his voice up. Um, I had a different process where I like to go to the gym, sit in the steam room for a bit, you know, um, just sort of warm up the body, but not warm it up too much because then you blow your voice out too early. And, and, uh, you know, everybody comes to the theater at a different time too. Like I like to arrive early. Some people like to roll in, you know, at the half hour call, um, and it's, so it's really kind of individual, but I think, you know, you really do have to take care of yourself. We, we did eight shows a week and, and, um, yeah, it was, it's really tough. It's, if you, if you like to go out and party a lot, it's not really an easy balance to strike. You know, there's some people who can, and I like, I am not one of them. I I can't really, I can't really do that. It's hard on me. So, um, so yeah, you really have to kind of like treat yourself, um, like you're an athlete in a lot of ways. Um, you have to keep your, your yourself sort of mentally, you know, with it. You have to keep yourself physically with it. You have to get sleep, drink water, the whole shebang. You really have to take care of yourself. There were um, a
1: few bees amongst there. Let, let's not completely oh yeah. bullshit the yeah. audience
2: there. Well, oh, I no, no, say, no.
0: Like, let, you, we mentioned where you two met. I mean, it was in Toronto and let's face it, it was in a bar. So, was, yeah, yeah, um,
2: that is true, yeah, yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, part of that performance and and in theatre in general, but particularly when you're in a lead role and you're creating an experience for your audience every night or every performance. Mm. Um, And for most of that audience, it's the first time that they will experience that show. What are some of the tools that you use to make sure, you know, you've always got 100% energy and you're delivering the best performance you can outside of obviously the preparation and the physical side of things like you just mentioned, but um, Mm. in terms of physically giving yourself to every performance, have you got any sort of tools and tricks you rely on to be able to deliver that?
2: Yeah, I mean – what was it like? So it's pretty rare that you get to do a show as many times as I was lucky to do it. <laughs> you know, like by the time I got cast in the in the movie, I had done the show twelve hundred times, which was kind of wild to think of in my head. Um, but with that kind of level of repetition too, you, really get to kind of like know a role inside and out. You You get to feel what it's like to do the show when you're feeling under the weather. You get to feel like, you know, when you're on cloud nine. And so. What's kind of wild about that and what I sort of learned by doing a show over an extended period of time was that, you know, it can't be about getting it exactly the same way every night because that doesn't, in my opinion, create a live performance. It kind of creates a a robot performance or a, a version of a performance. And I think what I sort of learned, and this was hard to unlearn because I came from a classical piano world, which was like very much about You know, trying to get it right and trying to get it technically proficient um, that I had to kind of let go in a lot of ways and just sort of like bring where where I was to the performance every night, Um, which meant uh, it really allowed me to sort of listen and turn my focus away from myself and put it on whoever I was acting with in the, in the scene. And that, that I think, you know, was a big sort of, was a big aha moment for me, because I think for a lot of years, I I struggled as an actor to, to try and like be really consistent and get it right. And, and I realized it's not about getting it right. It's about just getting it good and just being there and present and listening to your, your um, compatriots on stage, um, in the scenes. And that ultimately creates a live, live performance. And, uh, and also like, you know, speaking specifically with Jersey boys, I got to talk to the audience every night, like actually talk to the audience, right. yep. which was like, I just, I still get chills thinking about it because I've really, really loved like sitting and talking directly to people in the audience. And I really tried hard to actually look at them in the eyes if I could see them. Uh, Cause it's hard to see obviously from a stage and really treat them. Like they were all sitting in my living room as best I could. and and go on a journey with them. And that was cool. Like, man, it was cool. And you can feel that when you're standing you know, dead center and you're talking, it's just you talking to 3000 people, you can feel their energy. And if they're not with you, you feel it. And if they're there with you, man, you feel that. And that's really electric and exciting. And I love that. Yeah.
0: You touched on technical production just a minute ago and I guess the production disciplines that go into theatre, you know, and the precision that goes in behind the scenes to make a show work, um, particularly eight times a week, and the level of complexity that goes in behind the scenes producing to production, to delivery. Um, Do you, I mean, our world is, is very much in, you know, live event land at this end. And for me personally, you know, I started in theatres as a stage manager and then transitioned over into the event industry. But do you come across, Many people, I guess, that have transitioned from both sides of the fence, from live events into theatre and vice versa. And how do you view those disciplines um, as a performer um, and the integral part that they play?
2: Uh, I I think you hit it right there. I think they're integral. You know, like I think that... Yeah, it's interesting being in L.A. where I think the where an actor sort of gets a lot of accolades and and is the one that sort of the figurehead and at the front of a lot of stuff. You know, Uh, they're walking the carpets. um, They're doing all that kind of stuff. They're doing all the press, which is, you know, how films work. Theater, I think, is just innately a more kind of like family oriented thing. I, you know, we all become friends especially when you tour a show. You're touring like a little mini city and you just uh, grow to love all those people and you treat them like family and and they become your family and you um you see firsthand just how all of those things um help make the show what it is, you know, without one of them uh, the show falls apart. Um so, you know, as an actor in theater, I think you're a cog in a wheel. Um uh that you know, you're a part of a larger picture and I that's I've loved that. I, I try and bring that to my films. I try and, you know, empower people to f- feel that way on my sets um, because I want them to invest like a family into a project um, uh, as opposed to kind of like existing in these like kind of insular tubes, you know, like it's a, I guess it's because I'm Canadian and it's a socialist country, but you know, like, it's, <laughs> you know, you work towards the greater good. And I think everyone who works in live events and theater knows that, all these parts are so, so integral. And, uh, and I love the the part of my brain that, um, that doesn't want to just only be one thing in my life that wanted to be an architect and a visual artist and an actor and a musician, um, really, really loves getting to understand firsthand all about all the aspects of that. And I think that's why I don't think I'll ever stop working in this business because there's so much to learn and there's so many different kind of um, facets of it that you can um, learn about. So I, I think that's, that's why I uh, love it so much.
1: Hey Mike, um, in, in the events world, it can be a real big coup to get someone in a, uh, in a touring performance to come and attend and perform at the event. Yeah. Moulin Rouge is performing at the moment. So if you can manage to get a member of the Moulin Rouge cast to perform at your event, it's, it's a big deal you know it's great it, it's something that really captures the audience and where I'm going with this is during what was a hugely you know a popular show massive profile in Toronto was that something that you guys were approached to do along the way did you you know did you get a, um, offers to perform at, at corporate events or maybe a sporting event or whatever it might be
2: yeah. I mean, um, I think that the, with a good PR company, which, you know, a lot of these shows have at their, um, sort of on their, uh, their team, um, you create these great sort of relationships with like all the sporting teams in town. So I think we sang at, we sang at the, a Jays game. I think we sang at a couple other sports games as well, which was always super fun to sing the anthem. Um, when we were in Calgary, we sang at the Calgary Stampede, which was super fun. Um, and, yeah, we got – I uh, after I did the film, we got approached and we ended up doing a, a, a bar mitzvah for a high-profile client in, in New York. And that was kind of super fun to go down and, like – uh Joe Jonas played um at the Bar Mitzvah. Wow. And like it was a pretty high we were we were really low on the on the thing, but he the 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 kid really loved Jersey Boys, so that's why we we're there. But so we did a couple numbers and had a great night and and they were wonderful to us. And and so yeah, occasionally you get that stuff and and through Jersey Boys a lot of um a lot of folks do the show and then they split off into these um kind of like review style groups like the Midtown Men and all of these other great um, sort of like duop groups that have sprouted up that tour around a lot and do gigs around the uh, country quite frequently. So it, it's sort of like the gift that keeps on giving, honestly, because everybody loves that music. Everybody loves that genre of music and that time period of music. And so, it, yeah, you can, uh, you can spin that in multiple ways. So, yeah. It's, How do it's you great. feel
0: as performers when you get approached for those, I guess, extra shows and extra performances when you're in the middle of a season and you're doing eight shows and all of a sudden I've got to go and perform at a corporate event or a charity event or another performance, a sporting thing.
1: Or or a bar mitzvah. Or a bar mitzvah.
0: But yeah, right in the midst of those seasons, I mean, how do you you first feel about it when those invites come around? Is it just part of being the professional to go down and do those things? Is that how you approach it or is it a hindrance on what you're doing day to day, week to week?
2: You know, I I certainly never saw it that way. I knew it was part of the part of it, right? And it only brings more kind of like uh people to the audience like that's you want to put bums in seats right and so yeah. it's a mutual benefit thing and and it's also like it's a it's like a really great thing when someone asks you to perform it th- like you have to take that as a as a compliment right because um, if they're yeah, not asking guess, they're not interested right so yeah totally
0: and i guess where i'm going with that is you know we we have a lot of event managers and producers that listen to this show and for them who are thinking about you know you look at your show and your performances and your entertainment and it's like oh i really want to go and ask that theater show to come down and perform because of whatever reason you've got like what do i need to think about to make sure that it's attractive to them and that they may want to do it and what should i think about to make sure they're comfortable and happy to come down and do it
2: yeah i think um you know obviously just always being respectful and and reaching out and just uh you know understanding that um People are game to do a lot of stuff, just uh, being communicative and, uh, and respectful of, of their time and all that kind of stuff. I think a lot of people, because especially with touring shows, they have kind of um, PR packets. So they'll have songs that they've already got in the bag that they can come and kind of trot out whenever they need to. Um, and that's sort of part of it. So, you know, talking to their PR company and going through them and sort of seeing, like, what do you have that's sort of, like, available? How does that fit into your live event that you're trying to book them for? And uh, working with them and, and uh, I, I, I mean, most of the time you're going to encounter people who are really game to do it because they're used to doing it and um and of course, like money always helps. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not always the reason why we do these things, right? Like, especially for charities and whatnot. Um, if you're, if you're doing a charity event, like, don't be afraid to sort of like approach it, um, respectfully. Um, like people might consider donating their time, you know, um, cause that's a valid thing. I don't think, uh, I've been I've been asked to do charity stuff before and and uh, I, that doesn't bother me at all. I would love to donate my time. You know, it's different for every person, but yeah, don't be afraid to sort of like go that route as well.
1: So um, for those listening, if you need a free uh, performer <laughs> at your show, just contact Michael. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, within uh, reason. He's a long, a little long in the tooth, but yeah, he'll sing some uh, tunes. <laughs> do you get
0: many requests? I mean, in terms of volume, when you're in that sort of mix, like, do you have to filter out what you want to do and what you don't want to do, or is there enough to just trickle along and and do it as I come in.
2: Yeah, you know, like I certainly, you know, I haven't put myself out in that way in a long time, but, you know, my buddies occasionally reach out to me and say, hey, do you want to put on a concert or whatnot? And I I love to sing still. I don't do a lot of it. I'm definitely leaning more into the producing land as of late, and so um, it's not on the radar for me as much. But but yeah, I mean, um, that stuff, like I said, there's friends of mine who have made that as a significant side gig and sometimes a main gig in a lot of ways and have sort of like, you know, uh, moved away from theater performing and done done sort of those kinds of shows a lot and made good money at it. So, um, yeah, it's So transitioning
0: Bible. into the into the film stuff and uh, you know this sort of leads to where you are now more in your career. But when you heard there was a Jersey Boys film coming out, and uh, were you drawn immediately into that, or did it take some convincing? And how did you go from stage to screen? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, certainly heard about it, but was never on my radar. I was like. I'm a Canadian kid from a small town with no theater, like no film experience. Like, you know, sure, it may have crossed my mind to reach out to my agent and say, hey, can I send in a tape, you know, to see if they would even consider. But I think it maybe crossed my mind for two seconds. And then I was like, no, there's no way in hell. Right. Um, And so, you know, like fast forward until, you know, I'd done the show in Toronto for two years. I went out on the road with it for two years doing the first national tour of Jersey Boys. And we were literally, we got our notice that the, the tour after being on the road for five years prior to us was closing in San Francisco. And uh, and we had like, you know, about four weeks left and and you know, it was bittersweet, but I'd been on the road for two years and I was ready to go home and I had a great run and was looking towards what was next. And, and uh, two weeks before the end of that run in San Francisco, um, I was sitting in my dressing room and someone was like, I heard some buzz outside my dre- dressing room and they were like, Clint Eastwood's in the audience. And I was like, what? That's crap. Like whatever. And I just, I immediately just, my knee jerk reaction was to be like, don't tell me there's a famous person in the audience. I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even really want to know when my friends are in the audience. Cause I get nervous. You know, you just like, suddenly you're like, Oh God. Um, and so I, I really like deliberately tried to just go on with my show and not think about it. And then our, our swing, uh, Mauricio, texted me a picture of him standing beside Eastwood in the lobby, and I was like, "Oh, well, that's real, you know." Like, and and luckily at that point when I got that picture, I was about eighty percent done my show. So I was like, "Okay, just gotta breathe, gotta go out and do your show." And even though he was there, there was no world in which I thought he was casting the movie. Like, he's What the hell would he be doing? At a theater performance. I'm sure he's got, you know, film people lined up. And, you know, I hung back after the show and he came back and was really enthusiastic and and he was about to leave. And I was like, okay, I have to step forward. I have to introduce myself. And I went and shook his hand and, and, uh, he just kind of looked at me for a second. He was like, oh, nice to meet you. And I was like, that's okay. That was interesting, you know, and shook his hand and didn't think anything about it. And, uh, weirdly he had shot a movie called unforgiven on my uncle's land. Like, um, months ago, like years wow. and years prior. So my, my, I, he was sort of on our radar as someone my family knew back in the day. Right. And spoke very highly of him. And of course, everyone knows Clint Eastwood and his work, but there was this weird, like subtle kind of like connection there too. Um, and then, you know, I, like I said, I didn't think anything about it. We closed out the tour, We went down and visited this city called LA for the first time. I'd never been there. And spent some time in L.A. And then I flew home to uh, my mom's birthday and got a call from my agent saying, oh, they'd like to see you in New York for the movie. And I was like, what? That's wild. Um, and they want to see you in a couple of weeks. So I booked a flight and, you know, like. And uh, again, never on my radar, of course, like just not on my radar. Um, and I had heard that it had been, you know, previously cast and all this kind of stuff. But I flew down to New York. I, I spent, you know, a thousand bucks on a flight. And I flew down and again, had another terrible, terrible audition experience <laughs> again, arrived. So the tr- trendy, mind. Mind. I know I'm like, I'm a pretty, <laughs> I'm a pretty like conscientious person. Like I, I prepare, but I, I arrived, um, and I was staying with my friends up in, in, uh, the two hundreds in, in Manhattan and, and it was great they gave me like directions how to get all the way down to the audition place and and of course it was a torrential downpour on the day of the audition. I arrived late. I was soaked from head to toe in my suit. I waited for 45 minutes for an Uber that didn't pick me up and jumped in an Uber finally and paid like 150 bucks for like an Uber Black to get to this audition. I was late. I couldn't get a hold of my agent to tell, you know, to tell a casting director I was going to be late and I was like I've just spent all this money and wasted the biggest opportunity of my life. And I finally arrived, I got through to my agent and, and Jeff was the casting director and said, it's fine. He can come whenever I showed up and I found a bathroom and I was soaked and I just like wiped my hair across my face. And I just looked at myself in the mirror and I said, look, you've done this show 1200 times. You've done it 1200 times. Take a breath. So I took a breath, tried to dry myself off, uh, went in, did the, did the stuff and uh met the casting director and and it was a pretty standard audition i didn't think i knocked it out of the park and when jeff kind of walked me out the casting director he said ah you know where'd you come in from today and i said oh you know i flew in from toronto and he's like oh man i hate to make people come and do that kind of stuff and when you hear a casting director say they feel bad about making you come in it's not always a good sign (laughs) like (laughs) so you're like oh well obviously i beefed that one pretty badly and so um so I, I flew home, and I was like, you know, it, it went as well as it could go. And uh, about a month later, I was sitting on a beach. They exist in Toronto. Um, and uh, my agent called and said, "I don't know what you did down there, but you booked the gig." So wow. well that was a month. That was a month, and then a month so later, you, that
1: just was that gone. As in, in your yeah, mind, absolutely. Month later, you're like, yeah,
2: yeah. I think at that point, as an actor, you you kind of. And it's a skill that you learn. It's like you have to just sort of like do the audition and then move on. And it's in their hands. If they like you, if they like what you bring to the table, they will call you. But, yeah, no, a month later, my agent called and said, I don't know what you did, but you booked the gig. And then a month after that, I was um, in Los Angeles for costume fitting and met Clint Eastwood and Rob Lorenz for the first time on the Warner Brothers lot. Um, And then a a month later, I was on set in Los Angeles shooting Jersey Boys a film. So
0: unbelievable what's that process like you know you'd go from audition and then you're on the beach obviously but yeah you know you're kind of waiting in hope to some degree but you've also got to move on with your career and look at other opportunities are you are you you looking at other stuff are you doing other stuff did you have to say no to other projects that you had on the go because this one come up how do you juggle that
2: yeah I mean I at that point I had been on tour with the show for two years and so I was kind of like out of sight out of mind and so for that that month of, I mean, I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't waiting at all for anybody to call me. Um, And it's certainly not Clint Eastwood, Um, but I was sitting in Toronto and I really was at a bit of a crossroads being like, okay, I've done this tour. And, and we chatted, Kate and I um, about um, moving to New York. And we were like, we both spent time on tour in, in the States. We've got all these connections in the States. Let's move to, to New York. And so he was about to do a show called, um, uh, Warhorse and was rehearsing in New York. And I thought, great opportunity. I'll go down with him. I will, uh, while he's rehearsing, I will look for places to live and move and we'll start that process. And, uh, and before that happened, uh, that's when I got the call and it was like, oh, okay, here's a swerve. Um, let's roll with that. Just a little yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was, you know, at that point I was really at this inflection point, also a little bit like, like, do I want to continue doing this? Like I, you know, I, cause I've been doing it for a long time and I needed to take a breath from, from working, you know? Cause it, it was a job and it was, you know, and I was away from my husband for two years and it was like, what are we doing with our lives now? Let's get reacquainted, yeah. you know? So it was big.
1: Hey Mike. so right, you, you're now on set, you're, you're filming the movie, um, something as you say that you performed 1200 times. Did you take some of those methodologies from the twelve hundred performances into your i guess now acting performance what was it were there similarities?
2: yeah, I think I mean it was baptism by fire in a lot of ways because I was like i I had done a couple commercials in Canada that was my extent of film um and it was wild because Eastwood wanted that. He wanted people who were familiar with the show to bring that. That's why he cast a lot of um, us who were, you know, kind of no names, so to speak, um, but who had done the show as much as we had. And so, you know, like I said, uh, once I got the gig, I, I really had to just sort of be like, okay, I don't, I can't teach myself how to film act in a month. You know, I can't like cram in a bunch of classes and expect to be, you know, whatever. Um, and I had, in truth, taken a couple film acting classes prior to that. But my lack of experience, I just had to sort of really say, "He cast us for a reason. He cast the leads as theater people for a reason. He obviously wants us to bring our knowledge of the show to this. To this. And so I just had to really kind of use that to bolster bolster things up. And I think, like I said, when I when you have that much experience with a show, it's part of who you are. And like Nick Massey and I share share the same birthday. Like, you know, like it's kind of wild. There's some weird sort of similarities there. And so um, it, he had at that point really started to feel like a, a part of me in a way, whether or not it was truly Nick Massey or not. But a version of that role had become uh, so deeply ingrained in me that Eastwood, who was largely um, improv based, um, really uh, you know allowed us to play a lot and so I had to kind of lean back on my knowledge of Nick Massey and the and the role in the show to kind of like be able to be ready to improv at a at a moment's notice so so yeah it was wild and
1: you you, you mentioned Broadway a few times um in different contexts but am I right in saying that after the film uh was done you went back and did a stint on Broadway with the Jersey Boys
2: I did yeah yeah we um So between when we wrapped the show and then the movie was released um, and all that kind of stuff, um, we got invited to do a couple sort of big gigs because of the movie, which was super fun. And then um, the show was closing on Broadway and the technical uh, director, Richard, who is just one of the best people I've ever met, um, just a Jersey Boys kind of stalwart and has been with the production since the dawn of time, since way back in La Jolla. and, uh, I'm a huge fan of his and, and, uh, he's given me a lot of opportunities and this was one of them. He said to me, you know, like, I just, I wanted to get you in before the show closed. And, uh, the, the gent who was playing, um, uh, Matt, I was uh, doing, um, the show wanted to take a bit of a break to go do another show. And so they gave him permission to do that. And I was able to kind of like jump in and, and take the reins, which was wild. I had my debut performance in a show, um, on Broadway um, that I had done uh, a bunch of times at that point. So it, it was pretty wild, very, very come, you know, full circle moment, which was excellent for me. What's the,
0: what's the experience like going for, you know, performing on Broadway versus I guess the touring shows and the Canadian shows. And is there much difference or, you know, the shows are very similar in some, in terms of the physical delivery, but the experience of, you know, for a musical guy, you know, the dream I'm sure was to be on Broadway at some point in some way. And, and then you're finally there.
1: Well, I guess also for all of us who have traveled, you don't go to Toronto necessarily to go to a show. You go nope. to New York to yeah, go to a show. 100%. So what was that energy and atmosphere like?
2: Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a juggernaut. Like there's a, it's not, I mean, it's not just a show. It's such a, it's a wave of shows. It's a culture. It's a vibe. It's a community. And I wasn't totally like a being an outsider not having been on Broadway. once you're doing a Broadway show, you just feel that energy, you feel that community. there's events all the time that everyone's part of. Um, you know, I lived on the Upper West Side, and I would walk through Central Park on my way to a matinee, and you just feel all the actors walk into their matinee, you know, and it's like it's New York, and you just feel that energy and that and that, uh, that community and connection. and so, yeah, it was wild. It was like nothing. I've ever experienced before. And there were people in the show who'd been doing it since the first Jersey boys production. Um, And then there were people like me who just came in, you know, and, and wildly some of those people who'd been doing it since the dawn of time were the freshest performances in the show. And, and that was kind of wild to see. And, and there were people who were, you know, who, who'd been doing Broadway for a really long time and it was just wild to talk to them and, and listen to the history and, yeah, and just talk to people who literally this was their life, and doing Broadway had been their lives all this time. It was, like I said, it was a full circle thing, and I just felt like such a great honor to be able to get into that show on Broadway before it closed. Um, Did it was you immerse huge. yourself
0: into the into the culture with with that group and with with that community, as you put it? You know, like the the fifty four below or the you know the piano bars, and you know that whole immersive piece of what centers around Broadway and, and gives its little ecosystem. Uh, make it makes it work
2: yeah i tried as much as i could i mean i was i think i was only there for around 6 months but but i did i you know we did a couple sort of events and things like that which were really cool and uh, there's a you know an adoption event that happens annually that's like hosted by Bernadette Peters and you know it's like yeah. you, you're part of all of this kind of stuff that's just this juggernaut and and you know then there's the social events and we were there for the Tonys so we went to you know like I bounced around to a couple of Tony parties and and met Glenn Close and and you know uh Andrew Lloyd Webber at one of them like how wild is that and yeah. you know saw the cast of um rock um oh, I can't remember the show but saw a cast perform and it, you know it's just wild that you can kind of like be part of that and yeah. and it's just this powerhouse of a place to be so um yeah I can understand why people dedicate their lives to being part of that community it's uh it's cool
0: so at this stage you've performed on Broadway you've been a lead role in a Hollywood film based on a musical did you feel like you've achieved everything you set out to achieve and and then at what point do you go I think I'm done with the musical stuff I love the film stuff or this is where I want to go next
2: yeah I um I think you know honestly I love Los Angeles and within a couple years of being here I was like oh I think if I really want to continue in the musical theater route I need to probably be in New York and yeah. although I did a big Hollywood film it was a musical theater film and you know I had a couple casting directors that I spoke to in New York and some friends who were leads on Broadway and and a couple other folks my agent was out there and you know and I think they they kind of all would have liked it if I had been in New York but in retrospect I had a great time on on the Jersey Boys film, but one of the things that really stuck with me, and I can only sort of like acknowledge that now, was that I uh, and I remember coming home and telling Caden this. I kind of felt like I was. I said to him, "I feel like I'm 18 years old again, like, and I'm just graduating college for the first time. I'm seeing every day I show up. It's Christmas for me because I'm like." this like production designer is coming up to me and presenting me five different guitars for me to sort of like look at. And this, I got to work on my costumes and work with the wardrobe department to develop the the costumes that my character will be wearing. And and my mind was just blown by making films and the um, the sort of mechanism of making films uh, at a certain level. And I just kind of was like, oh, in retrospect i think the chapter really closed after after that jersey boys film and i loved doing broadway it was huge for me um but i think i had sort of like subconsciously moved on and 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 decided that i wanted to just become a producer and start making films so um and it was cool like i i met a lot of those people on set and i still have remained friends with them and our first ad bernie um i was at his wedding and bernie and jen and we've become good friends and and you know there's a different kind of community out here you have to search for it but um one thing that really struck me about eastwood and the people that he worked with were um there's this guy named Corey who picked me up um on on the first day that i had my costume fitting and it was the first time i had sort of like been in la after i had booked the gig and um he picked me up and we started talking and i was like oh how long have you been working with eastwood and he was like oh i'm a newbie and i said oh yeah what does that mean and he said Seven years. I've been working seven years for Eastwood. And and then we got to talking. And he was like, Yeah, people come out of the woodwork to work with him, you know, like they come out of retirement. Deborah, who's been doing wardrobe for him for ages, like, you know, you build that family and you collect people who speak your language and and um have a similar taste, not necessarily your exact opinion, because you don't want to be surrounded by yes people, but it was just obvious he had curated this group of people that just all were kind of on the same level of him uh, as him, and uh, it was wild to watch that happen and click and and that was really a, kind of a a real watershed moment for me just to sort of witness that. And it was kind of an aha moment where I was like, ah, yeah, that I want to do that. I want to do so, all that. <laughs> so, so you you've,
1: you've really become quite prominent as a producer, but you know, you 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 did the hard yards. You know, you did some small parts and just learned um, learned the craft, so to speak. You've had a taste for events and you actually had a taste of events with me at one stage in LA, but uh, yeah. what are the, some of the similarities that you find that you have found between being a producer in your world and being a, a producer in the events world? I think it is
2: remarkably similar. You know, I think um, you're dealing with personalities, you're managing personalities, you are dealing with a team of people that you're working with very closely and in, over long hours and in stressful environments. Um you're having to problem solve on the fly. You're having to um, respectfully decline bad ideas, um, but entertain all ideas. You know what I mean? Like, it's 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 so remarkably similar. You're dealing with talent. Like, I mean, that event that you produced here, you were dealing with some you know big names that were coming up to do that gig, and and uh, yeah, it's it's so so very similar, and it's similar to theater as well. And you know some of the I think some of the best directors and the best producers and the best leaders that I've been grateful to be around have empowered their team members to uh, with a level of trust that is kind of, you know, uh, surprising. Um, like Eastwood collaborated with us like uh, um, like he respected us on a level that was the same as his, which for me was really unexpected because um, it was kind of egoless and it was just like, hey, You're an artist. I'm an artist. Let's come up with the best solution. Um, And I think that lack of ego and that incredible amount of trust that he placed in us and other directors have done that with me, too, in the past. In my musical theater stuff, um, you know, they've come up to me and said, look, I don't have a ton of time to work on you with this, but I'm going to trust that you're going to build this world out and it's going to make the show better because I trust you. And just imbuing your team and the people that you work with with that level of trust, it's wild what they're capable of doing you know, and, um, that's huge. I think that's just such a key to being a good leader.
0: The past few years, you've taken a, a very different pathway, you know, producing and directing, but along with graphic design,
2: mm. was
0: this something you subconsciously wanted to do whilst you're performing and pursue further or how did it, how did this life that you now live, uh, with your, with your little production agency, uh, mm. take shape?
2: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I was a visual artist kind of almost first and, uh, I was—I mean, I was a classical pianist, yes, but I, I, like, really almost went into architecture and then I almost went into visual art as a graphic designer, too, before I swerved into acting. And so I do feel like it's always been there. And, you know, when we started Little Bull, we were doing a lot of graphic design for our, our friends. We were doing a lot of... Um, key art for, for films, trailers for films and stuff like that. And, and I just sort of said to Caden, I think we need to call this something and register it as a business. And, um, because I think eventually down the road, we wanted to build a company where independent, um, filmmakers could come to us and we could help them not only develop their film, take it through production into film festivals and beyond, but also help them package their films and, um, develop a brand for them and develop their key art and their trailers and their pitch decks and, and, you know, really be kind of like a, a one-stop shop in a lot of ways. Um, because a lot of production companies have to outsource that stuff. And and we found that a lot of kind of, um, uh, production companies that were working at the level that we aspired to were outsourcing that graphic design work to us. So we thought, well, we want to be doing what they're doing. Um, <laughs> and we also want to be, you know, helping with the graphic design stuff because, you know, I, I have a love for that. And I, I um, would like to think that I'm starting to develop some skills around it and, and people have come to us to help us out with that or to to help them with that kind of stuff. And, and it's just a great opportunity to, um, to help filmmakers with all aspects of their films, you know, so.
0: Do you miss being on stage or on screen <laughs> as well?
2: You know, um, only when I talk about it, to be honest, like, <laughs> talking about it with you guys, like, you know, I, cause I go back there. I mean, just being an actor, I think you just kind of go back to those places really easily. And, and uh, yeah, there's some, there's definitely some aspects of it and the community. I think I, I've sort of gone from showing up at work every day to a community of people. Um, uh, but weirdly, like we just finished, we wrapped our first feature film and um up in, in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, which was awesome. And I started to feel that same sense of community and that same feeling that I used to feel when I'd show up to the theater every day um, or show up on set as an actor. And I just was like, yeah, this can exist and does exist, but just in a different way. And it's equally as uh, equally as gratifying. So I just really want to make films all the time now. So <laughs> that's the goal really, <laughs> you know, um, that's what I did.
1: And Mike, so LA is obviously full of stereotypes in that world, but mm-hmm. what is it like to live and breathe it every day in the industry? And and coming from another country, even though it's, you know, you're a neighboring country, if you could give some advice to anyone thinking of taking that leap to pursue a career on or off stage, what would it be?
2: Yeah, I think um yeah, I think all of the stereotypes you think about LA are true. Like and and you can come down and you can see everything that you've seen, you know, all those stereotypes. Um
1: you can end but, up at a drag show like we did uh, a couple of months ago, right? On absolutely. A night.
2: <laughs> yeah, you can do that. And you can go to certain parts of town where everybody looks exactly the same because they go to the same, you know, plastic surgeon. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I do think that like any city, it's about who, like the experience that you carve out in that city. And and I think, you know, we moved to West Hollywood when we first moved here because it was super central and that was awesome. Um, and then we moved to, you know, The valley, and it's it's a bit closer to to what we need to do, and we started to develop a family of people, and and yeah, I think once you once you find that family, LA can be a really really um, great town full of people who want to make stuff happen, um, and who aren't just uh, blowing smoke, you know what I mean, Um, and I think uh, because I think ultimately underneath it all. The people who have the staying power who stick around and are who are in the business and have some longevity are the people who have have the goods you know like like in your business i you know i and i imagine that you know uh you have to you have to be able to deliver in order to stick around and to have that longevity and to build that confidence where clients come to you because they know that you can deliver right and i think similarly down here it's it's like anything if you can deliver as a production house and deliver a great film um you know for next to no money, especially, uh, you know, that's a great that's a great quality, you know, and um, and the people that want to help make that happen um, are here, and that's that's what's so great about it. Um, and advice wise, I would just say, you know, don't get sucked in by by those stereotypes. Just come come to LA prepared to work hard and and to uh, and to deliver, like I say, um, and to learn and be open to opportunities. Um, and take it all in. Um, but you know, it's really easy to get kind of like uh, sucked in by the weather and sucked in by the glitz and glam. Um, but there is't there is a really hardworking community here of people that will um, that will be there for you if you uh, if you find them. Um, you just have to look. so
0: amazing. And um, we you know we always say, hey, you're only as good as your last gig and I would yeah. say it's very much true uh, on the same uh, on your side. Uh, yeah. on the same notion, what advice would you give to our listeners who have dreams of performing on stage in musicals, um, given your history and experience and going from one extreme to the other?
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's such a hard question. Cause I, what plays in my head is like all of the famous people who've said, don't do it. <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think do it, but just, um, don't do it. Don't do it unless you're going to go in full tilt. Um, it's not something that you can do. It's hard. It's hard. What we do being in entertainment in general is hard. It's a lot of work. Um, it takes a lot of, uh, dedication and, and obviously, um, drive. Um, but yeah, I, I would say if you've got another option, then maybe film or, or theater <laughs> or the arts is not for you. Right. Like, and I'm not saying like become the architect cause I, I could have become an architect, but if in your heart, you think that there's a better option for you do that other option, because you're going to be tested like no, uh, no way. I think in a lot of other sort of uh, professions, like you are as an artist, um, as a performer, that's going to test your dedication and your drive and your tenacity and all that kind of stuff in a way that, that I think is Olympic level at times. And so you got to be, you got to be there. You got to be there to show up for it full tilt. Um, but it's. On the flip side of that, it's so incredibly gratifying. It's so wild to finish a show and go out to the to the stage door and meet the people that you've, you know, affected in some way. Like, what a great res- responsibility and, and privilege to get up and just take people away from, you know, the their lives for a couple hours. It's just huge. And, uh, yeah, it's really gratifying in a way that I also think pays dividends in ways that maybe – I don't know, other professions might not, so,
1: yeah. Um, Mike just touched on uh, meeting people side of stage. Uh, one thing he did for me uh, a number of years ago, my mum visited me in Toronto and I didn't Judy. tell her that, do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. hi Judy, hi mum. <laughs> uh, I didn't tell mum that um, I was friends with the cast and uh, I, I took her around to the side, door well, just accidentally, the side of stage and there was Mike uh, and Quinn and the rest of the cast waiting for Judy. And uh took her on stage and got, she got a photo with the crew and she'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. <laughs> and thank you so much. And I'm sure oh you did gosh. that for hundreds and possibly thousands of people over the years. So that experience in itself is amazing for people. So thank you for doing that.
2: Oh my gosh. I mean, I, it's weird. Like uh, there's a proscenium, you know, sort of like thing that like separates you from the audience. And, uh, it just feels so good at the end of a show to just like take that proscenium down and be like, Hey, you know, great to meet you and to connect with people because I don't know, you feel like you've spent that time together. And, and I know um, it's just, it's good for us too to to meet the folks that we're uh, sharing that space with. So it was a, awesome to meet your mom. She's amazing. I would expect nothing less <laughs> if she's your mom. So yeah, it was, it was wonderful. And they're
0: just amazing memories. And I think that's part of the power of theater and events. Um, yeah. You know, they are lifetime memories that you're creating. And, and it's every night on that stage that you're performing that show. You know, I can remember nearly every show that I've seen in some way, and and mm. how you know, and the delivery side of it, but particularly the ones I've sat in the audience for, and where I was, and how I felt, and who I went with, and where in the world that was, uh, it's just incredible. And um, you know, your mum's now had a lifetime experience and a, and a memory that she'll never forget, and the same with you. And old you know, Mike's uh, delivered yet again. Well done, mate. Uh, now, talking Boy, about delivery, we're, we're, we're at rapid-fire question time and uh, old mate's been chomping away here because he's got a lot of history on you and uh, oh, I've had no. to shorten his list a little but uh, I'm not going to stop him at the same time. So, Buzz, you, you're on fire now. I'm going to sit back and just uh, enjoy this.
1: I had to oh, reduce this uh, the number of questions from about 40 down to a, a five or six here, but uh, here we go. No, I was oh. nice to you, Mike. The, the, these okay. are easy. Okay. What's your favourite musical? Cabaret. Nice. When people ask where you're from, do you say Canada?
2: I say a tiny little town called Stetler, population 5,000. <laughs> oh, <did> That's <laughs> awesome. And do they look at you and go, what the fuck
1: is he? Talking yeah, about? usually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> true, or, true or false, you once bailed on a Sunday matinee show after a night on the booze.
2: <laughs> well, you know the answer to that, so why don't you just answer that? Because it was of you, you, is a
1: true, true or false question. Is true, <laughs> it is
2: a true question. It is a true. This was the first show. Buzz is responsible. Here's some history Buzz is responsible for the first show that I ever called out of, which is like a big deal and in I, Canada. Yeah. I, I, called, I have a smile on my face. And you're still yeah. talking
0: to him. I can't believe it. So I know. I know. What,
1: what do I. What I will add to that is that there was also another cast member who also bailed on the Matinee show.
2: Yes. Very unprofessional. Usually I'm a very professional person, but that was a moment of unprofessionalism. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. To be,
1: yeah, I'm sorry for the <laughs> Toronto crowd who missed two of the actors. Anyway, okay, moving on. What's the best event that you've attended in LA? Ooh,
2: uh best event. Well, the Hollywood Bowl is a sick venue. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing like it. I think um, there are things like it, but I've certainly never experienced them. And I saw, so I saw 2001 Space uh, Odyssey. Um, it was projected on screens, but the LA Phil uh, Philharmonic Orchestra, and then I think the LA choir sang the score while that was being played. And so they um, all performed that live. And I watched that, that was wild. I saw Florence and the Machine there as well. I saw a couple of musicals at that venue. Um, and there's just something about like taking your wine and your booze and your, your food and whatever else you like to partake in um, and sitting under the stars and seeing the uh, Hollywood Hills um, uh, and listening to great music in that venue. It's it's wild. It's special.
1: Yeah. It's it's on the list.
2: You got to take yeah. me there next time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, do you know exactly how many times you performed in a
2: musical in your life or at least a ballpark performed in a musical or not a specific musical or just in general in general in general i got to say probably maybe over 5000 performances maybe wow. closer to like between 5000 and 7000 performances because you know like if i say 2 years of jersey boy 2 4 four and a half years of Jersey boys equals around 1200 performances and I've performed for yeah so I my maths are bad but somewhere between five and seven thousand yeah okay
1: that, that's huge um yeah. what's the best advice that you've ever received
2: the best advice I've ever received I just res- it was from a guy named Joe um, Joe is not with us anymore. He was one of the actors in Jersey boys. i got a little for clamp thinking about it, but, uh, Joe, uh, was an actor with me on tour and, uh, I, I booked Jersey boys and he's actually a great film actor. And I said, Joe, I've done this thing. I've accepted this gig and I don't know anything about it. Can you please with your, you know, your wisdom, give me, um, give me the, your like top 10 tips of what to do on a film set because you've done it so many times. And Saravo says, he sent me this beautiful email and uh, just had all these things. And it, one of the things he said was just respect everybody, treat everybody with respect on set. Um, you know, and I, I I try to do that as much as possible in life, but also on set. Like no matter what you're doing in a gig or whatever, tensions can be high. Um, you know, the client could be you know chirping at you, whatever it is. Um, it ultimately doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. You just got to be respectful to you, the people around you because, you know, you're not. It's not brain surgery. You're trying to create a, a fun event, um, and a and uh, an experience for people. And so, um, you got to maintain that respect as as much as you can always. So, yeah.
1: I can I can definitely translate into what we do. Um, and then I've got one more. It's kind of broken into two. Okay. When are we going to see you in Australia?
2: <laughs> Really put me on the spot. You know, um, it's one of the places I've, it's on my bucket list of places to go. And obviously it's like top of the list because you're there and you've been grilling me. And obviously Australia <laughs> is amazing. Um, and I have cousins there. Like I actually have cousins who live in Australia. So um, yeah, I can't answer that. I still can't <laughs> okay. answer that. All right. What you can answer though is yeah. can you do an Aussie accent. No, you know, I can't do an Aussie (laughs) accent. I think I, you know, I did one Aussie interview for some folks um, while we were doing promo for the movie. And I thought I was being so like hip and cool. And like, I'm going to learn some stuff. And I think I texted you about like, what are some Aussie things I could do? And I was like, oh, I'm going to send them a video after the interview of like me doing some Aussie stuff. And, and they were just like, uh yeah cool whatever <laughs> you know it was <laughs> like it did not go over well because I'm off awful at it but but yeah um there's a I guy tried. named Brian there's a guy named Brian Jordan Alvarez who's big over in Australia right now he's like does all these great TikTok videos and he's got all this music uh, I don't know if you've heard of him but he does a great Aussie accent. And he's from LA, yeah. so I'm gonna default. Well, you, to him. you need to speak to him and, and get it together,
1: all right? But yeah, that, that's all for I me. You survived. Ah, nice. too that wasn't too um, bad. I expected
2: nah. far worse from you. But
1: oh,
0: can yeah. I add one? I'm, I'm just curious. I know we spent, you know, we talked about musicals, and we spent a lot of time on Jersey Boys. But yeah. taking Jersey Boys out of the equation, do you have a favorite character that you've played, or a and fr- or a favorite show that you've you've been in?
2: Yeah, um, mm. I mean, I I mentioned that I love. Cabaret. I love that musical. Um, but I played Cliff in that musical and I would have liked to play the MC. It would have been fun to play the MC. I just think that's a super fun role. Um, but honestly, the, uh, the best time I had, um, was playing Kanicki in Greece. I had a great time doing that. And I, and the reason why is cause like in my career, I just, I always say this to people. I'm like, I've never wanted, I was never a Danny Zuko. I was always a Kenickie. Like, that's just like my MO. Like I don't want to lead the show. <laughs> I just want to be the supporting lead. I want to like help everybody have a good time. And I don't want to carry like the, the show on my shoulders. Um, so I really enjoyed being Kenickie and yeah. Uh, awesome. yeah. Nice. Anyway.
0: <laughs> We'd like to finish these episodes up with a bit of a tradition. We've started this season on an event for life. And that is we've asked the previous guest to leave the next guest a question without knowing who they are. Oh, so fine. today's question for you, for your
2: legacy, what would you like to be remembered for? Oh my gosh. That's such a huge question. Um, I think as an artist, you know, um, finding your voice and finding the way that you kind of communicate with people is like a lifelong journey. Right. And so I I guess, um, I guess if at some point um, the art or the films or the performances that I create or have or make or something can, um, can sort of uh, change the way that people might feel about their life, change the direction, change the way that they interact with other people, make them love more, make them care about people more, and make them be more empathetic to others that might be different from them. Um, Yeah. Sorry. I just think there's been times in, uh, oh my God, I'm getting emotional about this, but there's been times where I've watched a performance or seen a piece of art that has just moved me in a way that has just completely changed the way that I look at somebody or I've interacted with people or, or, you know, made me go back and say, you know, I really wish I wouldn't have said that or, or I want to love you more. Um, if any of my art can do that for people, then then I think, I've that's my legacy. However big or small that is, I don't care if people remember my name. I just hope that I've um, that I've moved them in some way to love more.
0: Incredibly powerful,
1: oh, amazing. I don't think we'll get a better answer than that.
0: Never, no. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and it's great to to see the emotion come out in, in your answer because you live and breathe it, and you have done for such a long time. Mike, we really appreciate you joining us uh, on an event for life. Um, I, I've loved this chat. I know buzzers love catching up with you as well. But uh, for me, you know, to from a theatre background initially, um, to to talk to you, to hear your life story, to hear what you've been able to contribute to so many art forms, and dedicate your uh, your passion, your life to, has been absolutely inspiring. And I really love the chat and. I look forward to hopefully catching up with you uh, when either I'm in LA or you're in, uh, yeah. in America we'll next. Have, and We'll have to do
1: a part two for this in person. Yeah. Mike, when, I will uh, love that. When, when That'd you, be great. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, but uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been an amazing conversation and we wish you all the very best.
1: Likewise, James. It's, it's a Thanks pleasure. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, cheers. Thanks so much, man. It's so good to see you. All right. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of An Eventful Life don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode it makes a huge difference to us and don't forget you can also find us on our new youtube channel this
0: show is for you our listeners our aim is to bring you the most in-depth conversations and life experiences from the event industry so if you have any feedback suggestions on guests you would like us to interview on the show please reach out to us through our social media channels i'm brad and i'm shane see you next time on an event for life